Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Sunday, March 27, 2022, and welcome to yet another episode of the Now Mind You podcast, episode 12. I'm TJ. I'm Matt. And as usual, before we begin, remember that there will be spoilers. And as always, you know where the annotations are in the description. If you're not where we're at, take your time, catch up. As this is uploaded, it will be in the cloud in perpetuity. So you get there when you can. Uh, we have quite the roster for you today. Not our full roster manga, but what do we got? We got Hajime no Ippo, Sakamoto mm-hmm. Days. Mm-hmm. We got Ayashiman. Mm-hmm. We have Jujutsu Kaisen. And we have My Hero Academia. Then going into combat sports, we'll have UFC Fight Night Blades versus Dawkins. And going into our topic of the week, which this week, Matt, is going to be... Uh, what character could have or should have been a villain? Exactly. With that being said, without wasting any more time, let's get into our combat sports manga in Hajime no Ippo. Matt, take it away. All right. All right. We get Hajime no Ippo, chapter... 1375 called the day he ex- he's accepted by the world um pretty much what we got here at the end of the last chapter mashiba finally was able to defeat daniel garcia and um what we're seeing here basically is the fallout not necessarily the fallout but you know this is all post-match so mashiba's in the ring exhausted just kind of looking up one eye swollen shut Pretty typical considering the fight he was just in. Um, that Ipo and Kumi sitting like with their heads next to each other and lovey dovey, all lovey dovey, and just happy that you know he's doing well. And Ipo, Ipo has the best, just innocent, happy face like in the <laughs> right. world. Like, right. yeah, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mashiba has a moment where he's looking up and his eye that is not swollen drops down. And he looks and he can see Ipo with Kumi. And they asked him, they before the lady can finish telling him she wants to give him an interview, he looks down, sees the mic, grabs it, and just goes on like <laughs> it just goes on a profanity laced like tirade and passes out. Um and everybody's like, Oh my god, Kumi, like go to him. And it's like, nah, he good. You know what I'm saying? Because that pretty much also would have defeated what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first place. And, uh, you know, he gets an ovation from the crowd as he leaves. And then uh, we had a pretty interesting scene uh, where right after that, as people were leaving, we saw Miata was, um, Miata was still, you know, still in the building, pretty much thinking over uh, the fight and everything like that. And he runs into a guy, who it took me a second to remember who this guy was. Um, he runs into a guy who's just pretty much talking to him about the chopping right. And it was like, yeah, well, if, you know, if dude hadn't uh, basically been tired, you know what I'm saying? Kind of just mm-hmm. hating mm-hmm. on Mashiba. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I mean? If we, we just gonna call the spade a spade, he was hating. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> funny enough, Miata was just like, who are you again? Right. Like, at the end of all of that. And, uh, oh, go ahead. What was you going to say? I wasn't going to say anything. I was just laughing. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, the guy, like, goes on this whole thing about, like, you know, guy, people wanting to be recognized by the world and stuff like that. And Miata's like, yeah, that's cool. Um, who are you? <laughs> um, and it turns out that it was um, Iga. Iga, if, you know, for those of you who read the manga or don't or what have you, Iga is the 
pretty much the guy that fought Imai. Uh, he's fought, I mean, well, not Imai, but he fought the other guy with a very similar name, Amai, mm-hmm. Amai. Um, He fought Aoki, um, he fought Soshi. You know, pretty much been a pretty tough guy, but Mashiba beat him. Okay. And, man, Mashiba beat the brakes off him also. So this guy is like, you know, pretty much feeling away considering the guy that beat him just went on to take the world. And he was Mashiba's last fight. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, we see everybody leaving. And, you know, Ipo essentially being forced by Sendo to go to Mexico. After Sendo watches the fight, as we see that he's watching the fight on TV, he comes to the conclusion that he probably should go to Mexico to watch Ricardo's next fight. And Vorg is also going to be there on the same card, having a title defense as well. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much everybody who is within Epo's circle is about to be fighting. And, um, you know, we get, um, we pretty much get Sendo talking to Epo on the phone and telling him like, yo, we're going to Mexico. He's like, what? He was like, yeah, we're going to Mexico. Oh, why well, can't just up and leave? Yeah, yeah well, you can. So, Epo uh, will eat, despite the fact he's knocked this man out twice. Epo is consistently being bullied by people that he's KO'd. Yeah. Um, but what was cool was when he was running with his uh his little underlings, as I like to refer to them. They made the realization that even I, I feel like at least I personally have made um when they were doing role work with him. It was like, yeah, Epo is the real monster. Yeah, because all these guys that are going on to this next level have all stopped lost. all of them. Yeah, like it, it ain't just a loss. Epo don't have no decision wins. He don't yeah. know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't understand a decision victory. Yeah. <laughs> like it's KO or it's nothing. Yeah. Um. Overall, I thought this was a great chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was it. It does what all of the chapters in Epo do, especially when a fight ends, they always set up the next arc immediately. Mm-hmm. Right when one arc closes, the next arc opens. And they do this every time. And it's, I'm not even saying this in a way to complain about it, but I just love that about the manga. That, like, there is no, like, you don't have to sift through the mess of like, well, what's going to be the next thing? Mashiba defeats you. Daniel Garcia. He's going on to the world. And the next fights coming up are Ricardo's fight with Wally. And Vorg's uh, title defense. So yeah. we going to Mexico, and that's it. And everybody in Mexico has some sort of connection to Epo. And if I can make a prediction before I give you your, uh, before I give you the floor, um, I think this is when Epo is going to one hundred percent be on Ricardo's radar. Mm-hmm. This is going to put him on there because, like, when he was in the, that armchair. Yeah, the last time we saw him, he was thinking about it. He was like, dude, wait a minute. I'll link back to this one man. The guy that I'm finna fight has only lost to one person, Epo. The guy that's on the co-main event that's defending his world title has only lost to one guy, Epo. Mm-hmm. Like, who the, the dude that is in line to fight me right now after I, if he beats Wally, which I'm pretty sure he will, right. has only lost to one man. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and this Epo. Also, I just thought it was wild. My man still had them wristbands on. He is wearing these weights all the time. Right. But that's all I got to say on the TJ. How, did, how was you feeling? Um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I don't think I have really much to add. But essentially, it's like this was a great way to put a bow on this arc, right? Uh, which was really about Mashiba's character development. You know, him 
essentially kind of maturing in a certain way and also like coming face to face with his own inner inner demons and Mm -hmm. face to face with his responsibilities as an older brother right and i think we also got a uh quite a bit of a sense of like what the origin of his like hatred or like visceral reactions to Ibo kind of stemmed from uh in Mm -hmm. my opinion um but it feels like Mashiba did two things that I think I kind of laid out last week during uh, my review, right? He, mm-hmm. and, and these were all options I laid out. I didn't know he was going to do two of them. But uh, one of the things I said was like, oh, maybe he's going to grab the mic and do a Takamura, but the crowd won't necessarily turn on him, which he did. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing I said was that um, the whole not yet thing wasn't necessarily about him uh, winning or whatever being stoic but it could have been about him just feeling like it's the job ain't done I just got the right to challenge this wasn't the title fight um which we saw again today too right um but yeah no him shattering that whole like older brother's stoicness with that tirade <laughs> and then passing out was absolutely hilarious it's all um, brand all on brand oh 100 I think even though Mashiba's unrequited girlfriend uh, told Kumi to go down, I think it should have been her. Like that would have been another like level of growth, I think, for Mashiba and for his like would be unrequited girlfriend. Um, I can't wait to see that relationship. That's gonna be interesting. Um, I didn't even remember Iga. I was like, you know what, Miata's me. I am Miata. Who are you? <laughs> like, you no, know? I was him too. It took me a second. I was like, wait, who was dude? Who is this guy? Uh, you know the other reason. So many chapters of like Evo. Yeah. The other reason he got treated like that was because Mashiba smoked him when he fought him. Right, right. Like, remember, right. he left him, like, battered in the corner. Like, he slumped right. down. Like, no, Mashiba dogged him, bro. The right. chapter was called Execution. He beat him in right. one round. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then it also made me think again of what my, uh, Miata plans to do, right? He's getting left behind in the dust by another one who is in that generation, right? Mm-hmm. It, and it's already been said, it's like, yo, there's no point in you staying as a featherweight and holding on to that OPBF champ title. There's literally no point anymore. Yeah, bro's um, literally not coming for this belt. Yeah. He's not going to come for this. Right. Um, Ipo choose that innocence you mentioned about Ipo and him choosing to believe that Mashiba said something wholesome was also hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you look at the face that Mashiba had, even during Ipo's flashback, it's like, there's no way those pretty words came out of that mouth. Not at all. Um, that panel where he talked about the world accepting Mashiba, uh, Mashiba, I should say, and it's like the buildings were whited out and you, it just kind of emphasized the stars in the night sky and Ipo was in black, you know, it was just, it was just really nice composition. Um, I really enjoyed that panel. Um, I really like how you said the switch over to the next uh, a big arc was what it was, right? We get Wally versus Martinez and we get Vork's title defense. But also, if you recall correctly, that too. that seed was planted at the beginning of this arc that just finished up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we had those those scenes of like Wally going over to Vork's camp to train. Um, yep. So it's like it's it's all planned out very well. Morikawa, I mean, the dude's been doing it since '89 and probably before that. '89 specifically for Ipo, but it's not. This is probably definitely not his first ever series. They usually have a few. Or they've been assisting on a few, but the homie's been doing it for a while. He knows how to set up a story. Mm-hmm. Um, looking like we're going back to Mexico. And as you said, Sendo is as Sendo as ever in that he does not respect Ipo. 
a man like you said, he's lost to by KO a few times by stoppage. Bro, right? y'all be they be running over. They don't care. Ipo, they don't care because Epo's too nice. He doesn't he doesn't let his ego go overboard. But come on, bro, you gotta you gotta let him. Bro, know who one you time. talking to? You gotta you let him know I one Put time. you to sleep, bro. Calm <laughs> yeah. Down. And then the last thing I have in terms of thoughts, uh, I'm looking forward to the next arc, obviously. But it's like, come on, Epo, get back in the ring already, like. Yeah, I, I feel like it's I just think like this is what's going to cause it, man. This is the arc where he's just going to, this will be the end cap for his stockpiling coaching knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all right, well, Ricardo's calling your ass out. I mean, you got to do something with all this and we get a new training arc. Um, but nah, I mean, I never complain about Epo ever. It's just good. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful oh. arc. Beautiful ending. You want to take us in the Sakamoto days? Listen, this, all the chapters this week were bangers, but this one right here, I feel like, I'm not going to say much, but just remember, if you can, go back to the episode where Anxiety Youngster was introduced, Akito was introduced, and remember what I said. (laughs) Remember what I said. Now, all right, without further ado. Sakamoto Days, Chapter 64, titled The Path. Sakamoto Days uh, by Yuto Suzuki, right? Uh, last panel, we got that explosion resulting from Scarface glasses telling his teammate to fire, and then they'll collect the tails from Red Team's corpses, right? So it's like uh, Sakamoto, Red Team, they were trapped under that net that got shot at, and then, boom, explosion. Uh, we pick up right where we left off, and things are not looking too good for Team Red. But uh, instead of kind of going into the aftermath, like we have that like nice little color intro too. But instead of going into, you know, the explosion and the aftermath, what do we see? We cut to Team White and Team White is what we got. Uh, young face mask, Mafuyu Seba, right? We got Shin and then we got one of the special recommendation candidates in Kaji, right? So that's Team White. Now, Kaji basically says his first word since I think he told... Toramaru to hush up when the special recommendation candidates were introduced. He says, hey, and you get that little like <laughs> that little piku, that little like uh flinch thing that they usually do in manga anime when like you notice like either killing intent or like something that you weren't supposed to notice, right? Mm-hmm. And uh he says A, and like I said, he picks up on that killing intent while Shin is admonishing young face mask because his germophobia basically prevented them from catching a tail. He didn't want to get wet. <laughs> Right. Um, oh, that's it gets worse. As you know, mm-hmm. man, it gets worse with young face mask. He does his thing where he just escalates things. Right. Uh, Toromaru enters the chat. Now, if you don't remember who Toromaru is, she's the one with the shotgun axe. Right. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not an axe that. Well, to the best of my knowledge, it's not an axe that shoots shotguns. Right? I'm just going to say to the best of my knowledge because you never know. Right. You know what I mean? But it's like a shotgun with an axe blade like right underneath the barrel. Um, so it could be wielded like an axe or it could be shot like a shotgun. At least that's the two uses. Actually, no, we've really just seen it being used like an axe so far. We're assuming it could also fire bullets. Um, but that being said, like I said, she enters the chat and she wastes no time. Let's be clear. Uh, let's be clear, right? If Shin wasn't psychic, this series would have been, been down one protagonist in this chapter. He would have been dead, like you said. Um, Toromaru wants a white tail because it's the same color as her idol, Sakamoto. Uh, ever disrespectful, Mafuyu then proceeds to insult her, then proceeds to attack with uh, what I perceive to be like a tricking, martial arts tricking scoot to a hook kick, 
or like a Capoeira Compasso, but he's like midair, right? And calls her a nerd and creepy. Oh, but it's mm. not over. It's not over. Mm-hmm. It gets worse, like a like an infomercial, right? After the she notices, continues. oh, most definitely. After she notices that her doll got scuffed and ripped, he calls her an escapist who's afraid to live her life, right? Shin smacks him with like, stop being the dis- the disrespectful, like upside the head, like stop that disrespect, right? Yeah, stop it. But it's too late. She's activated kill mode, right? Because anybody who insults her hobby or what she loves needs to die, right? Look down on my uh, obsession, I'll kill you. <laughs> Literally her words. We then, and th- it cuts off right there. We then switch over to Team Red. That's Team Sakamoto, Akira, and Kill Baby Akira, aka Anxiety Youngster to us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where just like his slides, Sakamoto's apron proves to be undefeated, right? Mm-hmm. They're struggling with this netting that is staked deep into the ground. Like it looks like it's past the sand and just like anchored there. And while they struggle, Scarface Glasses just continues with the most efficient plan. Don't let them rest. Don't give them an opportunity to fight back. Keep firing. Thanks to her being skinny, Akira is able to escape. Sakamoto urges her to run away, and once again, when she makes eye contact with an antagonist, with an opponent, in this case Scarface, she loses her confidence. But this time, there's a little bit more at stake, right? Knowing that the alternative is her losing her friends, she makes a decision. And I'm quoting directly from the, from the chapter. If the alternative is to lose someone I care about, then I'm willing to be an assassin. Immediately dispatches Scarface glasses with a finger with a nukite strike Bro. from karate, like right to the karate artery. Um, she's about to take out the other two when she's stopped by Sakamoto. Sakamoto then observes that she hit Scarface glasses right in the karate, like I mentioned, right? Akira reverts back to normal and thoroughly apologizes for her actions. She then reveals her surname. Last name is Akao. This is significant. Akao. This this is significant. Um that was the other individual that was in Sakamoto and Nagumo's class at the JCC. Uh, last panel, Hio. This was like a flashback from chapter 55, right? The only names I was always hearing in reference to uh, the JCC back then were Sakamoto, Nagumo, and Akao. All ending in O. Oh, interesting. Um, we see a young Sakamoto, Nagumo, and Akao who's handing Sakamoto a cigarette and Nagumo is munching on some pokey, right? This is like the last panel. Mm-hmm. All right, getting into the review. Cold ass color page and double spread for the title page. Like that was cool. The the, the yeah. title page this time around was just the order featuring Sakamoto. So it was like a flashback to when they were all one squad. Uh, you even see uh, Kanaguri in that page, which makes mm-hmm. me think, side note, uh, do kind of... Did Kanaguri and Sakamoto actually know each other? And why did he recognize Sakamoto? But that's neither here nor there. because Nobody seems, like, seems too low-key. Yeah, they but low-key, but all, well, except for Nagumo, all right? Uh, Nagumo. But it's like, um, they also seem to be like loosely associated with each other, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, was it Shishiba and Chainsaw Girl were mentioning like recruiting Kanaguri again to the fold. So it's like they're all spread out. And then, of course, Takamura was like an urban legend, right? So it's like, I don't know. I don't know how like close they are actually to each other. Um, listen, you would think that young face mask would learn his lesson after aggravating Kanaguri back on the Man. plane, but here he goes again, sending another opponent into a higher gear, right? Mm-hmm. Like homie just does not know when to stop talking, but it's like, like I said, I'm so happy they've done what they've done with this character because the comedy potential has been astronomical. 
Um, it's been it's been amazing. Just like <laughs> his germophobia costs them a tail. Like let's just put it that way. Um, I have a feeling Kaji's going to be doing more than just saying a single word next week because um, he's oddly silent while all this is going down. That's all I'm gonna say there. Mm. Um, I wouldn't consider Scarface glasses a villain, but my boy sure is heartless and cold, right? All about that efficiency. Remember, he literally says, besides killing them is the simplest way to take their tails without provoking retaliation. So it's very cold and calculated, right? And then it made me think, flashback to Usami and the other like head test admins talking about keeping the body count low. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it's like, we've seen Toromaro been like, all right, I'm playing for keeps, right? What'd she do last chapter? She took a tail and an arm, right? Um, Boy. And then over here, Scarface Glasses talking about, hey, you know what? It might just be easier to like, you know, collect some bodies and we can get the tails. Let's be real, right? How much fighting do you actually want to do? What's the most efficient route here? Mm -hmm. Um, Also, he hits a lot of the tropes, right, of a villain with glasses. You know, best believe if this gets an anime, he's going to be that one going like, Moshiroi, you know what I mean? Or, you know. With the light hitting the 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 glass. Every time he puts the glasses up the bridge of his nose, man, we on the same wavelength. But yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Dude, I I felt this, but I think you you might agree. Did you get like some Android 16 and Gohan vibes when Sakamoto was telling Akira to run away? Yeah, and it's like kind of the opposite side of the spectrum where like Android 16 was telling Gohan like, hey, bro, it's OK to cut loose sometimes for the for the sake of what's right here. Sakamoto saying like, hey, run away. We'll catch up with you. Don't worry about us. But it, it still Don't felt trip. like the same type of of energy, you know, maybe not the same dialogue, but the same type of energy, bro. Mm-hmm. When Akira's eyes even changed. Like the artwork was different. We had yeah, seen when it was just glimpse. like regular face. Yeah, we had seen a glimpse of that when she caught the butterfly without disturbing its wings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the previous chapter, but like Sakamoto was struggling a little bit to restrain her. She was so in kill mode, she forgot that she had to take their tails, right? Um, when she's like apologizing thoroughly about her actions and she mentions like i just saw the path and and followed it the path that reminded me of demon slayer right that string yeah how they that, see the thread that tanjiro yeah they see that thread right before they go for the the the, the decapitation before they go for the kill yeah you know when they go for that kill i was like man that's and apparently it would appear that this is a skill that's unique to the akaos um, so far, we don't know how the story might develop, right? There could be another clan, another group that has this, but based on what we have so far, it seems like that's unique to Akao and no, her no, it, descendants. They, no, I wouldn't say that. Um, if you remember in the chapter, they showed Sakamoto was the one saying it when he was younger. That if you focus, you know, you can find, unless I miss, unless I misunderstood it. So the reason why I said this is because um, in the flashback, Sakamoto and Nagumo, who's got the tattoo in his arms, say that they can't see that, that it's on, like, it's Akao talking in that flashback. It's oh, not Sakamoto. You know what? I didn't notice that the other bubble, the bubble had two lines on it. The other one was going to Sakamoto saying he didn't like, huh? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I miss, I misread that panel. That's my yeah. bad. No, I, I thought he like, was the one saying it in that no. moment. It was uh it was a flashback and that was Akao saying that, right? And gotcha. also I didn't know that Nagumo had tattoos. Uh because it looks like he's got his arms on the homie's got whole sleeves. Um yeah, it looks like it. Right. 
And there's got to be some significance to Akao having that constellation tattoo that you see on her right arm in that last panel. Um, maybe it's like some type of symbolism for the past. I don't know, man. It's a, it's this feels like one of those series similar to Jujutsu Kaisen where it's like any detail that the author gives us, I'm like, I'm gonna just store this in the bank because it might be important later. You feel it's me? gonna matter. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, well, I wouldn't be surprised if they lift up. Uh, uh, Akira's sleeve, and she's got that constellation. Maybe it's a birthmark. Maybe it's she a, might be tatted up on under that like, coat. I'm um, some like fist of the North Star, you know? What I mean? <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. um, well, Kanchido's wasn't really a tattoo. That was like a scar that his brother gave him. That's neither here nor there. Uh, right. Also, so all the flashbacks we've seen with Akira and her past, right? Remember, there was that one scene where a relative of hers asked her to fix a jacket. Was that just Akao? Because she's she's sporting a leather jacket. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? That happened? could be the relative she wasn't showing. Yeah, right. What happened? The, so I'm just going into my question slash predictions at this point, right? Yeah, what happened so. to Akao that she was a never member? Uh, she was a never member. Jesus Christ! Mm-hmm. She was never a member of the order because it seems like everybody from Sakamoto's generation ended up becoming somewhat significant in the assassin world, right? So what happened? that there was appears to be a drop off, right? Is there a connection between uh, X, Slur, Uzugi, and Akao? And is that the alleged link between Akira and Slur? Because I still think that Slur is, is thinking of Akira as his next protege, right? As a new recruit. It's possible, yeah. Um, is my man Scarface Glasses going to make it, right? Because Sakumo may have done like some emergency first aid, but it's like... I don't know, bro. Um, oh, no, it's looking bad. It ain't looking too good. He might end up, if he's lucky, he has a new scar to add to his face slash neck. Um, excellent chapter as always. At this point, Yuto Suzuki, that gas pedal has just gone through the floor of the car, bro. He's like flintstoning mm-hmm. it, but doesn't need to flintstone it because he's already got so much acceleration. What did you think, Matt? Bro, she went through my man's neck with her hand. I know. That was on some Baki level. Yeah, like that's something you'd see out of Baki. Yeah, it definitely was like we didn't even see the motion. We just saw the blood on her hand and was like, "Oh, yeah. I'm sorry." I was like, "Yo, did you chop his neck? Like, what did you do?" <laughs> she did what had to be done. Yeah, she did. It was only her index finger, bro. She just went through his neck. She was about to get the other two. <laughs> like, Everybody was about to kill. Get it. Kill baby was sitting there, huh? First of all, I also like the little. <laughs> When she called him uh, Mr. Taro Mr. Babe. Mr. Babe. Yeah. <laughs> so respectful. <laughs> so respectful. Um, also, can we talk about Sakamoto? Uh, can we just say that Sakamoto's apron is, has now reached Batman's cloak level? <laughs> it's undefeated, like his slides. <laughs> like, Bro, my man just was like, oh, yeah, we just getting hit by a firing squad. I just went on and, <laughs> went on and did my thing. Like he just held the apron up and that kept yeah, him alive from a firing squad. Like, Real damn. Talk. Real talk. Yeah, um, I, I thought that was dope, man. I, I just, you know, I, I thought it was a good chapter. I don't really have much to add because I kind of was, you know, talking during part of the part where you was talking through it. So I, I just want to say it's like this was a chapter where we finally got what we had set up at the start of the, the plane, at the start of the tournament or the, the test, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. you see a character that looks like Anxiety Youngster in any anime or manga, they mm-hmm. are usually a problem. 
we finally got that. Like it was hinted at, all right, she's, remember Matt? It's like, I was almost like can, trying to convince yeah. myself, right? Like, but I mean, it happens, it's a like, trope. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so the quiet satisfied. character, the, oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they always end up being a killer. Uh-huh. Man. Every time. Every time, dude. Uh, with that being said, take us into our boy, a.k.a. Heavy Hands McGillicuddy. Right? Heavy Hands McGillicuddy. <laughs> take us into Ayashman, please. A.k.a. Morrow. <laughs> Man, my boy. All right. Anyway, my bad, before I, before I get too hype on it. So we got chapter 17 of Ayashiman. Um, and in this chapter, we are pretty much picking up where we left off, which was like, and I mean, at the moment literally, we left off. Literally. With uh, Marl striking the dam that was right ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by them, I'm referring to he and Cotton. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that Cotton dodges him last minute. He does like a backflip behind him. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to go for what he called an emergency maneuver, which was the full speed tiger soul dash. Way too many words, but, <laughs> but it sounds so it cool. Go. It sounds it, so cool, though. <laughs> it was cool to read, but there's no way you yelling all that out. Um, but still, it was cool to see. And so we see him throw this kick. And, you know, he ends up blowing the dam. And mm. so he gets blasted back by the water and we see a bloody fist reach out of all of that chaos. And we already know who that is. Mm-hmm. Morrow. Morrow then grabs him by this ankle, whirls him around and slams him full on into the dam, breaking the rest of it, mm. getting the rest of that water out. And pretty much Cotton acquiesces. Uh, Morrow goes to throw his, you know, his final strike and he stops it right before him. And he's like, look, uh, I'm not here to like crush you completely. You know what I'm saying? It's like our goal is just not to lose no more. Right. So, you know, is this it? And he was like, yeah, you know what? You win. Right. So right. pretty much after that, Marl passes out. <laughs> and like after everything he went through, I mean, look, let's be real. My man got knocked down the freeway. He got thrown off a building. Mm-hmm. Like he got hit at super speed. Which, whether dude was strong enough or not, get hit that fast. It's going to hurt. <laughs> like, he, he's earned his little nap. <laughs> he earned another nap, basically. Yeah. Um, and then we get like a really cool, really cool kind of two pages of panels showing him pretty much being the hero that he wanted to be. Yeah. In uh, the manga. You know, yeah. we see a version of him as a kid uh, reading the manga, you know, face all swollen and stuff. He has his hand in his cast famously mm-hmm. from, you know, probably trying to shatter a boulder. Mm-hmm. And um, he looks up and he sees his present self smashing through a wall. And he smiles at the old version of him or whatever. And then we see him, he, he, he. So he's clearly done. <laughs> yeah. um, only to find out that he is no longer in uh Urara's arms but he is now tied <laughs> he's tied to cotton's number two riding yeah. behind riding with him on his motorcycle yeah um and we find out that they're all now riding with the Todoroki alliance with yep. that victory that the two of them pulled off and by mm-hmm. the two of them I'm referring to Morrow and Ten mm-hmm. they have now gained the allegiance of the Todoroki alliance mm-hmm. so they got 2,000 bikers riding with them and um 
you know, they pretty much go into 10 has like a funny moment with the guy that he beat. He's like, man, motorcycles are so fun. And he's like, yeah, but you trash my body. <laughs> right. Um, and we find out pretty much at the end um, that Cotton is going to explain to us pretty much kind of get us all up to speed on what happened with the Enma syndicate, mm-hmm. what's going on with uh, Keo's death, which mm-hmm. was Ra's father and kind of telling us more about Dopo. And they kind of leave us with that cliffhanger while Morrow is looking at a picture uh, while he's sitting in the back, you know, the original picture yep. of the, <clears throat> the uh, well, yeah, OG no. syndicate, like the OG, the, the OG yeah. like OG generation, if you will, basically, basically like, yeah. like Cotton's generation. Right. Along, we get to see that. And we also, while they're kind of talking about that, they shift over. Uh, and we see Dopo is still on his BS. Um, he was taking out another Yakuza boss, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I ain't gonna hold you. I thought it was pretty dope how he did it because we know that he has like the ice powers. Yeah, that was so he pretty cold. much slashed their throats and froze it in the moment. Cold, no pun intended. Throats. <laughs> um, <laughs> and let and froze it. So pretty much was like, well, if y'all move too much, the blood's going to warm up and you're going to die. Right. And But he's saying stuff to irritate these people. And then we see the blood splatter pretty much from all their necks. Um, yep. Yep, yep, yep. And then we get pretty much get left off on a little bit of a cliffhanger just with Cotton saying, you know, I'm going to explain to you guys everything that went down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, man, I, overall, I thought it was a great chapter. Uh, you know, pretty much just a good conclusion. We get a little bit of explanation about what's going on we get a little bit of uh, we get a little bit about what we're gonna find out is going on mm-hmm. and you know honestly my heart was really warmed by the uh the little panels of low morrow seeing grown morrow yeah he was just unconscious i just thought that was cool somewhat cathartic too yeah man i thought it was dope well what, what, what were your thoughts um going from the beginning of the chapter to end i thought cotton basically hit Morrow and us readers with that. This ain't my first rodeo homie energy. Of course mm-hmm. he would have an emergency maneuver ready to go, right? And that that maneuver name was pretty cool. <laughs> it was lie. cool, like, just long like, as hell. <laughs> so, like on some like common Rider, Super Sentai, Ultimate Attack, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, however, that being said, Morrow said, nah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, he was like, yeah, that's uh, all cool, but. Bro, mm-hmm. and, and you enumerated all the events that transpired in this fight to Maduro at the hands of Cotton. And I, I was a little pissed that he held his fist back. I was just like, sock him one time. Man, know? considering everything you went through. Yeah, I, I get it. Honor, manga protagonist, blah, blah, blah. But how many times was Maduro's life in danger at the hands of Cotton? Right? My man sock threw you off a building. Time. One time, you know. Threw you off a building, bro. But I, yeah, I, I, I guess... It was just a reminder to all of us that the goal of the Urata gang wasn't to destroy Cotton, but to grow their numbers, which we then saw, right? That double page mm-hmm. spread with the whole gang was pretty sick. Um, I laughed out loud when Urata checks in on Maro as he faints and Cotton says, don't panic, he's just unconscious, but Maro's face is down <laughs> in that water. <laughs> like, it's like, he, I mean, he's drowning though. <laughs> yeah, like, can we at least, you know, turn him over like face up? Like, uh and like you said about the heartwarming i thought that was emotionally satisfying too it's like when model threw that punch he was blown away that trauma you know mm-hmm. like hey we eventually become strong little homie don't worry about it we eventually do become strong um 
Interesting, I thought that Khan emphasized that his allegiance was to Keo, not the syndicate. Um, yeah. like he even says he exchanged the Sakazuke, Sakazuke, yeah. Sakazuke cups with mm-hmm. Keo. Um, nobody dope, else, dopo, yes, and porn, right? Do- yeah, he which, was very, which he wanted to make sure key, that he only did that with her pop, low key. And I mean, you see that in the present day Ayashiman world that the all the former associates of the NMA syndicate, right, including Todoroki, probably don't get along, they probably have some type of agreement, but. Push yeah, well, remember shove. they, they won't take said, much. Yeah, they said he said before that they don't uh they don't, they don't all get along. They don't, yeah, but it's like yeah, after he was like after your pops died, everybody just dipped off. Yeah, it's like there's like some type of tenuous balance in place, but it probably won't take much to start a war, which Dopo has been intent on doing, right? As we even see As his continued see. actions in this chapter. Um, but. Dopo strikes me as that character who's probably had a chip on his shoulder since the time that picture was taken. I remember when we talked about that picture, uh, I wasn't sure. I don't think we mentioned this on the podcast, but I wasn't sure if that was Dopo because their faces seem too different um, to me. Right. But Mm -hmm. the the chapter is essentially telling us that 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 was a young Dopo. And the reason why I'm saying like he probably has a chip on his shoulder the whole time is because I'm hoping we get a glimpse of what his relationship was with Keo was like, right? I have a feeling it was like almost like a bordering on obsession slash adoration, like the the super fan type mm-hmm. relationship that would cause that that essentially could easily get warped into something crazy dark. Um, the whole thing about him taking out the old guard and restructuring to me smells like he had a grudge. Um, mm-hmm. I can't help but but think too of when he figured out Rala's identity, saw the dagger, and was low key crying when he told the crew to kill Rala before Ten pulled out the dagger and she turned into her true, uh, I want to say, yokai form, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in that last confrontation, and never forget, Cotton did not pull out his mask one time. Uh, <laughs> but see. Look, and I thought the little back and forth between uh, Cotton and Maru when uh, Maru got his con- when, when he was awake again, and he was saying like, "Hey, don't you say it's like, boy, I'll say it as many times as I want. You took that L, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, I that was like, that's the energy we need that's, people to have, yeah, bro. Yes. Uh, now, looking forward to the next chapter because it looks like we're going to get a flashback that'll give us that one more bit of exposition, uh, exposition, exposition. Jesus Christ, Tom, uh, exposition. That's key to this story. But yeah, I this is a good chapter. 17 chapters, barely 20. Come on now. You know, be like good. our boy Amondo. Get caught up. Shout out Mondo. He knows what time it is. He uh Matt converted him to Ayashiman and Sakamoto Days. Mondo, uh, she's like, I call Mondo Mondo. Right? <laughs> well, Mondo <laughs> is seeing the light, and you can too. It's not you can too see late. The light too. It ain't too late. We too are, late. You always welcome on this bandwagon. This space. Real talk. Real talk. Yeah, wrong. Real talk. Um, now you um, know what time it is. Oh God. You know what time? Oh it is. boy. You know what time it is. Oh man, the best manga out right now. I'm not gonna hold you. I'll jump out the window now. Little <laughs> <laughs> bro, what? Uh, but <laughs> and for the last three weeks running, this has been the best manga that's coming out. Uh, at least out, uh, out of the Viz. Out of Viz is little, the little Shonen joints. Yeah, killing it. Yeah. Uh, listen, Jujutsu Kaisen obviously is what we're talking about, right? Man. Uh, getting it by Gege Akutami, getting into mm-hmm. chapter 179, Tokyo Sendai Colony Part 6. 
What was the last panel? Triple Domain Expansion. I'm going to keep the summary short this time because I really want to get into my review because this has been just nonstop. But uh, it was like action-filled, exposition, but a quick read. Um, <clears throat> picking up right where we left off. Triple Domain Expansion with Udo and Ishigori making sure to separate Yuda from Rika. Rika didn't like that. I opened up. Mm. But then mm. uh, Kurorushi, a.k.a. Roach Jr., makes an appearance and causes Whoa. the already unstable triple domain expansion to shatter. Wasting yeah, no time, too. Roach Jr. goes after Udo and Yuta jumps in on it too. There were no fair ones in this fight, let's be real. Mm -mm. Um, before we know it, Takako is down an arm and both her and Roach Jr. get hit with a granite blast. Again, nobody's shooting the fair one. It's mm -hmm. now time for, the, and I, this is like, this is the briefest summary I've, I've I've ever read and told and taken notes on, but it's hella accurate, right? Yeah, no, it was cracking. <laughs> it's like, there was no time waste. It was like, oh, you down bad. Let me take advantage of this. Now, it's time for the final showdown between Ishigori and Yuta featuring Rika. Um, also, don't forget, don't forget, Yuta finished Roach Jr. off. Yeah, oh, I, I got that in my notes. I got that in Super my notes because I was cold. I wish there was a close-up of like that. There was just a close-up of him grabbing the face, but no close-up. It was like like uh, zoom out on the blast away, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But um, last panel, Okotsu's curse technique still hasn't replenished. Let's go, Nika. Uh, let me get into this review. Oh, let me take a, I, you probably. Yeah, let's, right. let's both take a breath. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. I'm Ishigori and Udo knew exactly what time it was setting up their domain expansions. Mm -hmm. We need to get this dude away from his battery, right? Because Matt said it a few times, and that's what uh, Rika, the curse bear, not Rika Orimatsu, the, 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 the one who got exercised and passed away. This is Rika as a curse spirit. Uh, mm -hmm. She's essentially like a giant curse energy battery, and she is Yuda's curse technique, right? Uh, another note. Udo is butt-ass naked this whole chapter, right? He's been butt-ass naked this whole no, arc. But, okay, but, like, remember, like, her clothes were essentially the sky surface. She was using that as clothing, which I mm -hmm. think is going to be kind of trippy to animate. Um, but, yeah, no, she's been butt-ass, like, like, for real. She had no clothing. Bro, she was butt-ass naked this, uh, this chapter yeah. in particular. Um, it's funny that I had a theory a few episodes ago about that parthenogenesis potentially being a problem. Like when they explained the parthenogenesis before Yuda uh, dispatched him, right? Uh, or I should say dispatched it because we don't know Kurodoshi's gender, right? But parthenogenesis essentially amounts to asexual reproduction. I thought Kurodoshi would clone itself and Yuda would have to deal with the two. Lo and behold, the asexual reproduction, the parthenogenesis acted more like Demon King Piccolo giving birth to Piccolo back in Dragon Ball, right? Mm -hmm. Like where it's like like Goku just blasted a hole through the Demon King, and then he's like, oh, 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 oh. and then you know it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. worse animated, right? But yeah. It's like, but like yeah, the A came out, Piccolo was hatched, and Piccolo was on a mission, right? Now, Rika's eye opened again. And she's still super jealous. And apparently that's the remnants of Rika, the spirit dwelling inside of Rika, the mm -hmm. curse technique, right? Um, yeah. 
I prefer the way her teeth are drawn in the manga compared to Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. That was just too visceral. By the way, go listen to our review of uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero if you haven't uh, mm-hmm. watched or listened to it. Yeah, it's on YouTube too. Shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> basically, the three domains battling each other was pretty sketchy to begin with because, like, I thought the chapter of uh, Itadori Yuji versus, um, what was it? Uh, was it? Horiguchi, Hoshina, basically the, no, Hoshina is from uh, Kaiju. What am I doing? I think it was uh, Horigoshi, right? But basically the dude who had the domain expansion that was like the court system, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It did a very good job of explaining how domain expansions work and that every domain has a different rule set. And what was happening here was like, normally if it's a two-on, or if it's a one-on-one, Whoever's got the strongest domain, whoever's got the strongest rule set will just cancel out the attack and the domain of the weaker one, right? Mm-hmm. With this, you know, th- like three free for all, right? Three person free for all, this melee, right? This all everybody for themselves type situation, it was too sketchy and it just ended up creating a situation that was too unstable. And then with Roach Jr., you know, joining in on the fun, it just shattered, shattered right it just straight shattered uh also time check man how much time does you to have left on the clock because if you fully manifest rika he's only got five minutes right with her eye being open because usually rika's eye opens she's going full power does that affect that time does it like chop it down even further and mm-hmm. then tack on the domain expansion that just occurred right now we see that uh aside from ishigori because he seems to be the exception to the rule most curse users can't really use their curse technique immediately after um, wielding a domain expansion, right? So did his time just get chopped in half or is like, is that affected at all? Or really just how much time does he have left to use Rika? Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see, like, if, if you don't believe that the whole not being able to use your curse technique after using your domain expansion is real, just look at what happened to Udo. Right, like she's really struggling, and the fact that she can activate hers, well, you saw what happened to her arm. Again, mm-hmm. nobody is shooting the fair one this chapter. Out here with the two on ones, man. Well, there's only one person that can use their curse techniques. Well, yeah, yeah, he's the exception to the rule, right? Yuda mm-hmm. hits Takako with the blind side flying roundhouse to the neck, while Roach Jr. hits her with the festering life sword and those chest bursters come out and sever her arm rika then promptly makes sure that the arm can never be used again yeah. right Ate it. Um. knowing yeah bro some cookie monster shit man knowing yeah. that reverse curse technique won't be able to regenerate a whole yeah. limb also like a i dog when you drop something on the floor she picked bro, it right up bro <laughs> i mean you won't be needing this bro and that do you get the feeling too like Yes, you can say that Rika and Yuta have that type of advanced relationship, but I still feel like Rika, as the curse technique, still moves pretty independently. Um, Low-key. You know what I mean? Like, low-key, low-key. Because they're not exchanging very, like, a lot of words. But, I mean, you could also flash back to Megumi and his, like, Shikigami. He doesn't really have to tell them much either. They just know what time it is. Um, Yeah, I mean, he, and he has, so, like, they even mentioned in the chapter that the remnants of the original Rika Are that still in this there. curse came from was in there. So him right. just being out of sight was way too much for them. That like, eye open, nope. right? The eye open. Where is like, he? 
I don't said, like this. Give me back Yuda. Give Yuda yeah. back. And she I was literally like, said, I don't like this. And I was like, yo. Yeah, um, basically. Um, and, and just so you remember, his curse technique is copy. Yes. He's on some so, Bokashi. Yeah. yeah, so he can't use copy right now, but he obviously can still fight yes. with cursed energy because Rika is right there. Yes. So um, as much as he can't use copy, he can still fight. Tap into and, his battery. Yeah. Yeah, and we know that they pretty much both have a preference of fighting hand-to-hand as they've kind of already done that a little bit. Yep. And um, I was going to say, too, um, one thing, too, in this chapter of my review, our Fujiwara connected the Fujiwara clan or that Fujiwara individual are they connected to Sugawara Michizane who's like apparently the uh common ancestor that Gojo and Yuta have R.I.P. Takako looks like Ishigori like I said is the exception to the rule he doesn't have a refractory period after the domain expansion in order to use his curse technique right Yuta with the no look blast Sakura Rushi Jr. Roach Jr. was cold and hilarious Man, get um, your hands out of here. Like real talk, this is an A and B conversation. See your way out of here, vibes, right? Get his ass out. It looks like Ishigori is going to get what he's wanted this whole time. That full meal, right? That dessert, mm-hmm. the whole thing. Um, interesting though, that in the last panel, it's like the granite blast was already charging up while he's holding up that spear. Yeah, I was gonna right? point that out. Um, Yuda really is like Gunnar Nelson or Tom Aspinall. He's maintained the same expression this whole time even in the last panel he's not worried about it man um i think i called it although not exactly but takako for sure got dispatched first so the question is is takako actually dead again and if so those points would have to go to ishigori right because he's the one who delivered that final blow if she is in fact dead um lastly is yuda going to end ishigori Right, he still needs those points. If I recall correctly, he's only got about forty points after taking out Roach Senior. Right, mm-hmm. uh, looking forward to next week, man. This was action packed. Jujutsu Kaisen has been delivering. I feel like they're going to get a boost in popularity just with the simultaneous release, at least stateside, because it's been out in Japan for a while. But with Jujutsu mm-hmm. Kaisen Zero coming out, and this is just this is good. This is good, man. What'd you think, bro? Let him know. Oh man, I don't I don't really get much to say. I pretty much echo a lot of your sentiments on it. It's, it's fire. Yeah. Like every week it's just been heat. And you know, your boy, he's gone. Yeah. He's gone. I don't I everybody that has stood opposed to Yuta has fallen so far. <laughs> and I have no reason to believe this will be different. The um, only one who's not who hasn't died by Yuta's hands was Suguru Ghetto. And that's because you could say it was early on in Yuta's career. (laughs) Man, yeah. And I mean, my man barely escaped with his life. Yeah. Barely. Yeah. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But no, this this fight was crazy. It went Mm -hmm. from a three-way to a four-way to a (laughs) two-on-two. Bro. Bro. Oh, my goodness. Hey, you want to take us into My Hero, bro? You know what? I think I will. Please. I think I can do that for you. I think it's gonna be a good chapter too. Like, uh, this this was not a snoozer. Let's let's just say this. Like I said again at the beginning, this week we had some bangers once again. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm gonna keep buying short and sweet. Uh, pretty much what we get. We got chapter three forty nine, um, of My Hero Academia. Mm-hmm. And in this chapter, we pick up pretty much again where we left off. 
We got Deku trying to fly over, get back to the school so he can fight tomorrow's ashy ass. And he's struggling to get there. <laughs> and well, he's not necessarily struggling, but he's not going as fast as yeah, Shigarashi. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. That's it right there. Uh, and he's kind of str- not necessarily struggling to get there, but he's trying to get there faster. And um, he's utilizing two of his quirks at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, I'm just flying over water. Like, you know, I wish I could use Black Whip to, you know, just grab onto something and kind of launch myself even faster. Spider-Man. Yeah, basically. And um, we see that he's having an internal conversation with one of the previous users. And he's explaining to him that the stockpiling of the one for all power stockpiled everybody's power. Mm-hmm. So all of their powers, he has essentially the strongest version of the powers of all the eight users or all the seven previous users before him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whatever they could do, he can do it the better. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty much explained. One of them was explaining to him, like, you cannot use my quirk, <laughs> like not in a desperation situation. Nothing. His quirk is, uh, uh, I think he said it was called it's meta called meta. Yeah. Um, but and they he was kind of vague, but he was very clear in the fact that like you probably shouldn't use this if you try, especially if you're desperate. Yeah. Um, so that pretty much I think this little section just kind of is gonna leave Deku on ice for about a you know another few yeah. chapters or so. It's like Goku on Snake Way. Yeah, well, he on his way. He ain't there yeah. yet, but he on his way. Yeah. Um then we cut back to uh God, almost, almost always forget her name. Ochako mm-hmm. and what is the word? Well, Fropi, basically. Yep. And they're still faced off with uh, Toga. And, you know, Himiko Toga's basically like, I want to be who I am. Mm-hmm. I want to live my best life. And, you know, I'm going to need y'all to get up out of here. And, <laughs> you know, Ochako was like, yeah, you can live your best life, but I'm going to live mine and I'm going to do what's right for me. Basically, everybody wants to live how they, what's right for them. So that mm-hmm. fight has been set up. Mm-hmm. Cool. Then we get to the next, literally, like, if you read the chapters, you know what I'm talking about. I'm damn near going page for page. Yeah, uh, you are. Right after that, <laughs> we see, like, the city and stuff is, like, all on fire. And Dobby, obviously, is standing in the middle of that. And it looks like that the... I get would you call them staples that he had in his face? Yeah. And his skin, like they're starting to come apart. And it's like, like the sutures? raw skin. Sutures? Yeah. Staples? Yeah, I guess you yeah. could, we could say sutures. And like that raw skin that's kind of kind of been seeing that was being held back by Dobby. It's um it's starting to come out. And he's setting everything on fire. And he's just like, you know, pretty much enjoying the chaos. And we see that. Todoroki is going to face off against him with all of uh, Endeavor's former sidekicks. Mm-hmm. Or I guess maybe current sidekicks, depending on how you look at it. I don't know. But they're faced <laughs> off with each other, and we pretty much set up at the end of the chapter, this is going to be our next battle. That's yeah. probably where we're going to go in the next chapter. I'd be It'd be wild to assume that that isn't where we're going. Yeah. Um, but we get a little bit of a conversation between Todoroki and Dobby, where he calls him his real name, and he calls him Dobby. And he pretty much tells him, like, I'm not here because dad sent me here. I'm here on my own. Like, I'm here to deal with you because he didn't deal with you. That's the difference between us. Like, I'm not going to act like you ain't here. You're going to see me. 
and that was you know, significant Dobby, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, I did too. I thought it was dope too. And Dobby was like, "All right, well, fair enough. Let's get it." Um, mm-hmm. And we get like a little bit of a flash to Toga. Uh, what's the what's the other homie? Spinner. We get a, a yeah. Spinner. Yeah. Um, who kind of has like the rage eyes and a little bit of drool coming down. So mm-hmm. I don't know what's going good, what's going on with Spinner. And then uh, you know, we get kind of a look at Todoroki. So I'm assuming we're gonna probably see Spinner relatively soon. And yeah. don't forget, Better don't forget horse. his hero is not dead. Yeah, his hero yeah. is alive and kicking and running around. So Ooh, he might that's run a good into call. Stain. That's a good call. Yeah. Hey, because, uh clip this. Or some future yeah, arts. Yeah, yeah. Just remember future this. Arts, for sure. But, you know, I think it's an interesting thing that Spinner is out and we know that Stain is out. And mm-hmm. Spinner is a follower of Stain. But mm-hmm. the one thing that it seems that everybody keeps getting wrong is that Stain is not a villain. Yeah. Stain is in, <laughs> I guess, in a more literal sense. Yeah, I was going to say in a more literal sense than how we typically hear it. He's an <laughs> anti-hero. Just because he doesn't believe in the business of heroism. Like uh, not that he doesn't believe in heroes. Yeah. He doesn't believe in heroes as a business, which right. is essentially in this universe what heroes have become. Right. Um, right. so it'll be interesting to see what what'll happen if and when that confrontation takes place. Um, and then we just leave off with this crazy, this crazy panel. Oh of God. Dobby's face and the skin completely coming apart. Like you can see the muscle tissue in his jaw. Oh you can com- see his teeth down to the root. It's, oh man, it's, it's going to be wild, man. Uh, what did you think of the chapter? Oh, first of all, low-key nightmare fuel on that last panel. Yeah, um, for, for real. But I'll start from the beginning and work my way down to that last panel. Um, that was a cold-ass title page. I like the American comic book style, too. Um, I feel like if they ever decide to release individual chapters of My Hero, like that's the route they should go. I think it's yeah. like hotcakes. Um, yeah. I got. I thought address, that was a dope cover. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Especially, I mean, anytime you put Miracle on anything, like it's gonna look cool. I thought it was interesting too that her and Bakugo have the same eye color, um, mm-hmm. and they're they're basically the same person too. Fiery uh, personalities, right? Um, I gotta address my assertions from last episode, right? I said, mm-hmm. I don't think Toga's going to let him get away that easily. She did, <laughs> right? All right, she did. He, he's gone. She can't fly. <laughs> right, 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 right. She can't fly. <laughs> I said, uh, Deku should be able to use float now. Why not just fly? He does, right? Yep. He uses that in conjunction with the third quirk, Fajin, which basically acts like a kinetic energy battery. Yeah, um, just a booster. And he just rele- releases it, right, when uh, when he chooses to. Mm-hmm. Um Yo, what is that meta quirk, right? Because the image they used know, to describe man. that door, how many locks were on it? Apparently, it got hella overpowered after being combined with one for all. Um, and it was the second ever quirk to be stockpiled. So it seems like it's going to be a game changer when it eventually gets unleashed in this arc. Because this is the final arc, right? You can't tease this and then not have a situation where izuku is forced to use it like that just that would just be like one of those loose ends where it's like come on bro what was that about um so basically froppy uh drop froppy is it froppy froppy right froppy drop kick toga so ochako wouldn't have to admit her crush on izuku right um Mm -hmm. does toga have twice as blood on in what it looks like to be some type of pill sorter box um is she going to go twice and what if she ends up in the, the same? What, what, okay, peep this. 
What if she ends up in the same situation twice did where she can't figure out who's the clone and who's real? How psycho would that oh, be? Oh my God, no, bro. She has enough problems. And I don't even. That's what I'm saying. That. Like it would, it would be like I don't think Ochako would survive. Um, always announce yourself before an epic battle, right? Definite mm-hmm. samurai vibes between Ochako and Himiko on some Optimus Prime versus Megatron. One shall stand, one shall fall. Vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, that Nomu that we cut over to while we get to uh, Toya versus Sh- uh, Shoto. That Nomu was kaiju size. We've had, I feel like we're, Yo, we're not talking about some of these Nomu, man. They got I, I buffed had, up. They got I had, buffed up. I got uh, 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 Godzilla vibes off that thing. That's what I'm saying. It's a kaiju's like class. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, it's come literally on, like man. destroying the city, right? Um, mm-hmm. That All Might statue has got to be built different to be able to withstand Toya's flames. Because you got to remember. That statue made out of adamantium. You got. <laughs> You keep doing like, it's you gotta say be. something that shuts down my whole chain of I'm thought. I'm sorry. I'm so laugh. sorry. <laughs> but but uh, I say it's built different because remember, Ida and Genium couldn't even approach the area. That's how hot these flames are. And this statue's over there chilling. No melting, just straight chilling. And there's got to mm. be some type of symbolism with Dobby being perched by it and on it trying to get Endeavor's attention. Why am I saying this? Endeavor's whole career has been him chasing All Might, even to the point where like that obsession led to the way he mistreated his family. He was like, he was like all right, if I can't beat All Might, I'm going to have a kid who's going to combine ice powers and fire powers and beat All Might, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I think there's some significance to him standing by that statue, which looks like it may have gotten destroyed, but probably not likely. Uh, I don't know. It it seems built different. Um, shout out to Endeavor sidekicks and shout out to Ida, of course. Like it was nice seeing them all make an appearance. Um, interesting, like you brought this up too, but the whole like, yo, if I just ignored you, I'd be just like that. I thought that was I thought that was profound and significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shoto's refusal to, to end up like his dad. Because even going into this arc, right? We had the whole, I don't want to say there was a reconciliation between. Shoto and Endeavor and the rest of the family, but it's like it was on some like we're gonna put this family beef aside to handle the problem that is your son, my brother, Dobby. Mm-hmm. Or it's like we're gonna we're gonna use this situation as a way to work on our relationship. But there's still this low-key refusal of Shoto to end up like his dad, which I think is good because you don't want to end up like Endeavor. Um, mm-hmm. And I just man. want to point out yeah. the 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 crux of this battle. One of the cruxes of this battle between these two is both of their refusal to become their dad. It's just yes. two different sides of that coin. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two different. You could even say extremes. Really. But yeah. For real. Um, I, I. You know. I would say. I would say Shoto's probably a little bit more central than like Toya just went all the way it's like <laughs> like but uh as we can see um uh, bro you can hear toya's voice changing in that last panel like also put those skin grafts back on playboy like i didn't need to know the extent of the damage that bad literal nightmare fuel in that last panel he's got no bottom gums matt no, no bottom bro. gums well at Nothing. least you know that, go ahead go ahead what are we gonna say 
No, I'm saying no, bro, nothing. I'm agreeing like, with you. He's got no bottom gums, man. Like, I don't even know if he's got top gums, to be honest. Like, I, I mean, at least we're going to get that flashback. Uh, and it's going to be one that we've always wanted, right? Like, how did he go from setting the whole forest on fire to Dobby? How did uh, Shigaraki know to, well, Shigaraki Tomura know to recruit him? And, you know, he eventually just joined up with, like, all for one and them, you know? Uh, Toya mm -hmm. is literally ashy. Even his voice reads like it's ashy, right? Mm -hmm. And it made me think, too, like, uh, the font used for Himiko's voice when she puts on the mask, whatever, it's like, does she go from, like, I'm Himiko, to, like, hey, what's up, my baby? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, it'd be hilarious to hear that animated, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, but, yo, throughout all this, especially I like that you pointed out the spinner panel, he's still mm -hmm. leading those heteromorphs. So I hope that we get a chapter with a flashback next week and a chapter that jumps between two zones. Because we got that, I want to say, last week and this week, right? We got mm. two zones, at least at least two zones this week, right? So I'm hoping we get a little bit of that next week. Uh, uh, but yeah, I want to see that flashback, and I want to see a little bit more progression in that uh, battle between brothers. That was my thoughts, man. Listen, my hero, since we finally started this final arc, well, not, not the arc, but the battle, it's been heat mm. every week. I'm happy. Yeah, man. Finally. Yeah, real talk. Um, with that, you want me to you want me to jump into the combat sports? Yeah, and let me preface uh preface preface this by saying I missed the the fight night last night, so Matt's gonna be carrying this uh combat sports section. You know, I'm gonna be there with the support, you know. But mm -hmm. uh, this is all Matt right here. So those of you at home, please be sure to give Matt his props because without <laughs> him, we wouldn't have a combat sports section. Not this, this week, week. <laughs> right? So let's get it week. going, bro. Let's get it going, bro. Please. Uh, so this week in the UFC, we had a fight night uh, that took place in Cleveland, Ohio. It was uh, Curtis Va Curtis Blades versus Chris Dawkins. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we had as our main event. Our co-main was Joanne Calderwood versus Alexa Grasso. Mm -hmm. Moving down, we had uh, Matt Brown versus Brian Barberina. Side uh, note, uh, I was surprised that Matt Brown was still fighting, but please go on. Yeah, yeah, he was supposedly going to retire not too long ago, and then he fought and still felt good and was like, well, I'm going to just fight till I don't feel good. And mm -hmm. um, we'll get to that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we had Kai Car France versus uh, Askar Askarov. Mm -hmm. uh, then we had Neil Magny versus Max Griffin. And bumped up to the main card, we got... This uh, might be a doozy. <laughs> Mark Jacasey, I'm just going to say his last name. Versus Borshev. I know how to say his last name. I just can't say his first name. That first name is a doozy. No offense. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, it, yeah, there's I a just, lot going on. You know, regionally, I, I'm just not, my tongue is not prepared to be able to say that. It just I understand. Isn't. I understand. Um, so, Mark Jacasey uh, and Borshev, they got bumped up because Ier Latifi and Alexio Olenek ended up getting scratched from the mm. card. Uh, so with that, they moved up and they became the opening bout. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, they were already the opening bout, basically. What in, actually got moved up, I'm sorry, I had it incorrect, what got thrown onto the main card was Neil Magny versus Max Griffin, which was initially going to be the main event of the prelims, and they moved them onto the main card. Got it, got it. So what we get opening up is uh, Mark Jacasey versus Borshev, in the lightweight division. Uh, Mark Jacasey's a guy who's hung around a little bit 
um, in the UFC. He's kind of, I won't say floundered, but he's been up and down. He definitely came in with a lot of hype, came in as the knockout artist, you know, KO'd a guy flat. Like, 2016 nice. was his debut, correct? 17. No, 16. You're right. You're right. You're right. 16 was when he debuted. Um, rattled off three straight in the UFC, dropped one to Jakar Close. Um, with a, in a, not to be funny, but a close split decision. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, exactly. Then he uh, took a, a guillotine loss to Dan Hooker, mm. um, which, you know, that was in 2017. Can't really blame him for that either when you look at what Dan Hooker's trajectory ended up being after that. Um, mm-hmm. Then he also took a third loss in a row to Nazareth Hot. Uh, Hot Parast or, you know, 155 Kevin Gaslam. <laughs> he bounced back, got two decisions off uh, Joe Duffy and Lando Venata. Uh, and then he turned around and unfortunately he took a loss to Rafael Fazayev, uh, but that ended up being fight of the night. It was a very close fight, but he did end up losing that. And then he lost to a guillotine choke. So mm. this was a do or die fight for him. Mm-hmm. against uh Borshev. And the one thing that a lot of people said and could be said about, you know, Mark Jacasey was that he needed to work on his grappling. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, recently joined up with Uriah Faber's uh, alpha male team. And man, all you can, all I can say in this one was wrestling. Mm-hmm. This whole, the whole fight, he wrestled. He, you know, went for a few takedowns and kind of just never really let Borshev go in that first one. And in that first round, I mean, didn't really let him go until he was able to keep him on the ground and just kind of worked a little ground and pound, tried to go for some submissions, but he really just wrestled and kept him, stayed in dominant positions and Mm. moved him around. Now, this was cool for the first two rounds, but in the third round, it was to the dismay of the crowd. They were not happy. They did not want to see all that wrestling. They, they wanted, wanted to finish. They wanted to finish. They wanted yeah. to see these guys bang. Um, just because that's pretty much what the hype package was showing. And there was some striking. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. Mark Jacasey pretty much got, you know, Borshev to freeze up with all of the grappling because his grappling mm-hmm. was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to grind him out to a decision. Nothing crazy to say about it, but it was good that Mark Casey won in uh, in such a do or die situation for himself. Right. Um, you know, the young guy still on the come up. Um, I thought that it was a good performance, uh, especially because he was in a situation where it was looking like he, uh, you know, could have been the guy to lose. Right. Um, going over to. Borshev, who's known as Slava Santa Claus, <laughs> insane, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a local nickname. Are the gifts uh, his fists? <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, he's a guy who came off the contender series, you know, won his first fight. Um, but as an overall thing, um, he's a little inexperienced in this situation. Mm. Um, just because he was coming into this fight five and two and, you know, Mark Jacasey, this was his 19th fight going into this fight. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I think that 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 makes a difference. Yeah. Um, And it seemed like it made a bit of a difference there. Then the next one we got is the welterweight contest between Neil Magny and Max Griffin. Shout out. Um, Shout out both of them. Yeah, it was. Now, this was a good fight. That 
that, my friend, was a good fight. It was a crazy fight also. Um, and that is going to kind of be the theme going forward for the rest of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Magny is a guy that's been around, needs no real introduction. Um, a bit of a always a bridesmaid, never a bride type of situation mm-hmm. when it comes to Neil Magny. And I mean that respectfully. I don't mean that disrespectfully. And I say that because he's a guy who's, seemingly always ranked, but he kind of keeps hitting his head on the ceiling when he gets to a certain point. Mm. Um, And it's kind of happened throughout his career, but he always goes on these runs where it's like, man, you just, somebody's going to have to stop him. And somebody does. And sometimes somebody does. Um, Like he beat uh, Liji Liang. He beat Anthony Rocco Martin. He beat Robbie Lawler. And then he lost to Michael Chiesa. Mm. But then he came off of that and beat Jeff Neal. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And he comes back and uh, last night he was able to defeat Max Griffin um, in really what was a crazy fight from beginning to end and a record-setting uh, fight for Neil Magny as well. Um, record-setting in the way that he is now uh, tied with George St. Pierre for the most wins in the welterweight division. Oh, snap. And he has surpassed George St. Pierre for the most cage time of anybody in the welterweight division. Oh. Uh, yeah. So he's out here. He's out here now. Yeah. Um, but going back to the fight. So pretty much what we got opening up, Max Griffin just was pressing forward. Max Griffin is coming off uh, literally three wins, he's coming off three wins in a row with his last three, uh, his last fight being against Carlos Condit. And Neil Magny was also coming off of uh, his victory against Jeff Neal. Mm-hmm. So it has been a little bit of a longer layoff for uh, Neil Magny. And I know that he was dealing with some different injuries and stuff because this was his first fight since May of last year. Mm-hmm. And um, excuse me. Sorry. Uh, this was another and, you know, it was kind of a layoff for Max Griffin as well, because this was his first fight since July of last year. Mm. Um, so I felt like they were a little bit on equal ground. They both had some things they had to clean up, had some injuries, things like that, that they all had to take care of. So that was cool. What happens is in the opening round, we get a lot of kind of awkward movement from Max Griffin. He almost looked like he was um, um, almost like he just needed to slow down. Seemed mm-hmm. like he was really excited. And um, that's if you ever see him fight, that is kind of how he fights. It's kind of frenetic in the way that he moves around. And, I mean, it worked out well for him because he dropped Neil Magny in the first round with a stiff right hand, mm. put him on his ass. And, um, you know, he was kind of able to – I felt like he won the first round, not only with the knockdown, but just he was kind of controlling the cage, controlling the space, kind of was keeping Neil Magny on the back foot. But it was like something woke up in Neil Magny after he got dropped with that right hand and he got up. And um, he kind of started pressing the issue a little bit more, started trying to press his – uh presses reach advantage and that ended up being the story for the next two rounds um because this was a three-round contest Mm -hmm. where it was pretty back and forth man and there was a decent amount of clinch work that was done on the cage not a lot of takedowns both guys had attempted them but i think they they kind of thwarted each other pretty Mm -hmm. decently uh, Mm -hmm. enough in that takedown department and i mean it just turned into a dog fight uh going down the stretch and um Neil Magny was able to to edge out the victory 
Um, and I mean, dog fight, knees, elbows, punches. They was just going for it. Uh, the crowd was loving this fight. I, I'd imagine compared fight. to like Jacasey versus Borshoff, right? Yeah. I mean, and there was striking and things like that too. There was just, there was more. But this that is what they wanted. Like yeah. 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 It was less grind and it was more of a fight. Yeah. Um, and ultimately it was, I mean, this fight could have went either way. It was a split decision. Uh, where one judge had it 30-29 Magny, the other judge had it 30-29 Griffin, and it just came down to that last judge that gave right. it to Magny with the exact same... 30-29? Uh, same thing, 30-29. Mm. Um, I felt as though, personally, I, I could see it going to Magny, and I felt like Neil Magny won it just because he ended up kind of pulling off a little bit more on the back end. Mm-hmm. Not to say that Max Griffin... Max Griffin didn't come off as if he was like super exhausted or anything like that. It's just like Neil Magny had a little bit extra mm-hmm. on that back end, just a little bit. Nothing mm-hmm. crazy. We just had just a little more on the back end of the, of the especially the final round of uh, of the bout. Mm-hmm. And I think he did just enough to edge it out. And obviously, you know, I my opinion was correct because it was the opinion of the judges. And um, he was able to pull that off. And right after that, Neil Magny called out Hamzat Chimaev, who he's kind of been calling out for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and he even mentioned that in the call. I was like, I've been calling this guy out for a year. Like, Hamzat, I want to fight you. Like, mm-hmm. give me the fight. And um, so, you know, we'll see what ends up happening with that ultimately. Um, and this was a relatively important fight for the welterweight division, not because these are two guys that are super high up the rankings, but Neil Magny at the time was ranked number nine. So this was a big deal for Max Griffin to crack into that top 15. Mm. Um, who I thought it was interesting that he hasn't made it into the top 15 yet, just considering how active he is and how active he had been, but you know, things happen. Right. Um, right. You know, so I'm sure he'll be able to get back on the horse. You know, he wasn't like terribly, neither of these guys, at least on the surface, were, you know, terribly injured or anything like that. So, you know, hopefully we get to see both of these guys come back in the cage, you know, pretty soon. Yep. And, and it'll be interesting to see where, where Neil Magny ends up in the rankings, considering the two people ahead of him are Sean Brady and George Masvidal. Mm. And, mm. you know, we don't know what could happen with that. Because um, Hamzad is actually behind him in the rankings at number 11. Mm. So I don't know. You know, Neil Magny, he's a gamer, as we know. So he wants to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be, like I said, it'll be very interesting to see what ends up happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, next, we had a flyweight bout between Oscar Askarov and Kai Car France. Kai Car France is a. Uh, if you, that name sounds familiar, he usually fights on cards with Israel Adesanya mm-hmm. uh, as he is his teammate. And he, at the time of this recording, is currently ranked number six in the division. And at the time, Oscar Oskarov was ranked number two. Mm. And these two guys, if the last fight gave you what they was looking for, this fight definitely gave the crowd what they were looking for. These mm. people were screaming basically from bell to bell for this fight. Um, Kai Carr France is coming off of a two, yeah, two back-to-back KO victories. Um, his most recent one being against Cody Garbrandt back in December. And Oskarov is also, he was actually coming off like three straight, uh, three straight decision wins. His last one being over 
uh, Joseph Benavidez in March of last year. Mm. Um, also, ironically, within his record, he has a draw against Brandon Marino. Hmm. And that was back in 2019. So this fight had a lot of implications about what the title picture was going to look like in the flyweight division. Um, and what we ended up getting was a straight banger for three rounds. Um, opens up with Oskarov kind of taking advantage and really just kind of putting the hands on Kai Car France, opening up. And, you know, if you know anything about Kai Car France or seen him fight, he takes a little damage, but he will definitely give it back to you. Hmm. Um, this is a guy that he he has very heavy hands for a guy his size. Um, and that's pretty much his story. You know, like that's that's the thing about him. Like, you know, he's little guys, 5'4", 125. And he's fought Bantamweight. He's currently fighting flyweight. And he's always said, you know, as they were talking about him on the broadcast, you know, he's the guy that's you know, the run of the litter, but he's got a big heart. And he definitely had to use a little bit of that heart in this fight. Um, it was a tough one, man. It was it was definitely a tough battle. Um, going going into the beginning, Askarov was kind of putting some hands on Kai Car France, and um, he tried to dive in on a, a a takedown. Ends up getting him getting the back, gets a seatbelt on Kai Car France. And I heard about that. Yeah. He, bro, he the ends The strength in, of that first round was significant, but the first, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. He gets the seatbelt on Kai Car France. Car uh, France is able to fight the hands. Eventually, he's able to get him off, get it back standing, and he kind of starts putting the pressure on him. Mm-hmm. Going to the second round, he's able to get the seatbelt on him again, this time standing. It was actually pretty cool how he did it because he kind of kicked himself off the cage to wrap that leg around when they were both standing up because they were in a bit of a grappling exchange where, Mm -hmm. you know, their shoulders were both to the cage. So he kicked off of it to kind of wrap his leg around. Again, goes for the rear naked choke. Kai Car France is able to peel those hands off. And, you know, the more he's going for these these grappling moves, the more tired he's starting to get. That fatigue was starting to set in. And Mm -hmm. Kai did not let him off the hook. Capitalized on it. He capitalized on it. He stayed in his face. He wasn't able to, uh, he didn't put him down or anything, but the, the pressure from the punches and the kicks were definitely starting to, to get to him where at the, by the third round, he was shooting desperation takedowns, uh, ooh, you know, yeah. just out yeah. of exhaustion, you know, right. I'm backing up, just let me just shoot just to get him off me. Right. Um, it was a banger all the way through. Both guys came to fight. Uh, both guys, I felt left everything in the cage, you know, no blood or anything like that, fortunately for them. No guy got cut um, in this one. But what we ended up seeing was number six beat number two. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how those rankings shake out. And also right after uh, the fight, Davison Figueredo tweeted that he'll give Kai Car France the next title shot. Because right. uh, there's something going on with Brandon Marino right now where they're not going to do the rematch right away. He might have an injury or something like that. Mm. And if that's the case... Kai Car France is now going to be the Teed next up. man up. Yeah. yeah. It's his turn. Whew. Then next, we had Matt Brown versus Brian Barberina. I heard I, this was the fight of the night. I would say it was the fight of the night. I think everybody in the crowd would have called it the fight of the night. I'm personally telling you that it was the fight of the night. It was the best <laughs> fight. Uh, dude, the, it was like a mirror. It was a mirror match, basically. Mm. Um. Matt Brown, the, you know, the Cleveland, Ohio natives, obviously, you know, the hometown guy, the crowd was going crazy for him and Brian Barberina. These are both, regardless of Brian Barberina's record, 
he has a very similar background to Matt Brown in a sense of he's been around the block. Mm-hmm. This guy's not new. He ain't new to this. He true to this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have very similar styles in the way that they fight where they, you know, they definitely like to employ a lot of those Muay Thai tactics with the elbows and the knees on the inside. These guys are not afraid to get dirty. They're not afraid to get rough. Um, you know, Brian Barberino has been with the UFC since 2014. He's been fighting since 2009. Ooh, and what do you say about Matt Brown, who's been, you know, a uh, UFC He's competitor? He's 41. He's 41. He's been in the UFC since 2008. Dude. Um, Matt Brown made his debut on the Ultimate Fighter 7 finale. Ultimate Fighter 7. I'm going to say that one more time. Dude. Ultimate Fighter 7. Single you know, digits. <laughs> you, know the first, you know what the first pay-per-view was he was on? UFC 88. Bro, <laughs> before they hit three digits. He was there before they hit triple digits. Bro. Um, but yeah, man, this is a guy who's been around, man. Seasoned. He's a very seasoned veteran, 41 years old. Brian Barbarina, young veteran, 32 years old. Um, and man, what a fight they had from the very beginning. It was like they met in the middle and just let their hands go. Hmm. Um, both guys, like I said, I felt like a lot of it was a bit of a mirror match, and I mean that in a good way. They were utilizing a lot of the same techniques on each other. You know, it was and there was a lot of mutual respect that you could see, you know, even after rounds, they smack five, go back to their corners or whatever. Right. It was a bloody battle, man. Um, you really felt, do love to see that respect, though. Real talk. Yeah, you love to see that respect, especially considering the type of dogfight these guys got into. Right. And I think there was that mutual respect between each other. Like, all right, he's a warrior and I'm a warrior. And they like I said, they left it all in the cage. Matt Brown, I felt won the first round. Mm hmm. And I thought the second round was very, very close. Mm. Very, very close. Even the striking numbers would tell you that it was close. And the fact that strike the difference in strikes landed was one strike. It was 31 and 32. Oh. Um, and when it gets to that, you can't really just go off the numbers. You kind of got to go off of, you know, the floor the of the fight and like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, or like I've very famously heard... Uh, 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 Joe Rogan say before, I don't know how canceled he is anymore, but I thought he had a <laughs> when he said, like, sometimes you got to look at it like, who would you rather be when the fight's over? You know what I'm saying? Or who would you rather have been in a round? Right. Um, and I felt like that second round was the moment Brian Barbarina kind of started to turn it around. Now, mm-hmm. not to not to say that he was really that far behind. He was they both guys were in it all three rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that first round, we see a lot of Dirty boxing, a lot of cage work. Um, there were no takedowns. Mm-hmm. None. These guys had a kickboxing match in a cage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, I felt like in that second round, Brian Barberina kind of caught his, uh, kind of got his own wave going, kind of caught the flow of the fight and how he wanted to fight. Because again, he's coming into enemy territory. Matt Brown was ready to go. Right. That crowd exploded for him when he was there. Right. Um, and, you know, I felt like, the strikes, the elbows, the knees, but really just the hands of Brian Barberina is what made the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he fought better from a distance. He fought better at the mid to long range than Matt Brown did. And I think that was ultimately what won the fight for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it felt like Matt Brown let his foot off the gas a little bit in that third round, I, and um, which I think can be backed up simply by his own tweet where he said, he thought he had did enough in those first two rounds, which was why he kind of eased up in the third, which 
I don't like to hear that. And it's right. like, as long as you've been fighting, there's no way you could have felt that way ever. You right. know what I'm saying? But right. I'm not him. And I, I also can understand where that mindset is. I just on a personal level don't like hearing that. But right. I totally get where he's coming from. Because, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's, you know, you, you could think that you're up two rounds and be like, you know, let me just win this last one or let me just, you know, let's keep them off me. And that's right. a little bit what it seemed like, you know, it it seemed like Matt Brown thought in the third round, Brian Barberino was going to need to knock him out to win. Right. And right. I don't think he understood how tight that second round was. That second round was the best round of the fight. I mean, it's it was, always a, a toss up when you leave it up to the judges too. Right? Always. And there was, man, there was a toss up because they was tossing them hands. Um, <laughs> Ultimately, Brian Barberino was able to come away with the victory, but he came away from, with a victory in a fight where both guys look good. Mm-hmm. You know, you would have had to tell me uh, that this man was 41 years old, the way that he was out there fighting. Right. He did his thing, man. So, you know, shout out to both guys for what was a, an insane fight and just for the amount of respect that they showed to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, then we got... The co-main event, which was the women's flyweight bout between Joanne Calderwood and Alexa Grasso. It wasn't a long one. No, man. It it wasn't a long one. Uh, Apparently, they don't pay these girls by the hour. Um, (laughs) I'm always going to laugh when you, like, use that, dude. (laughs) I'm so serious, bro. They not not getting paid by the hour, man. That's not how they get paid. They get a flat rate. <laughs> uh, Alexa Grasso was coming into this number nine. Joanne Calderwood was coming in number seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are both girls that have, you know, title hopes and things like that. And this was a fight that could potentially play out for something interesting as far as um, a title shot is concerned, because the women's flyweight division under Valentina Shevchenko is 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 kind of anybody's race in terms of who's going to get a shot. Because she's already beaten the top three girls in the division. Mm-hmm. She's already beat them all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, what it just kind of comes down to is, you know, will you get your shot? And Alexa Grasso called for her shot after. But mm. let me not get ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. This was another fight. It was fun for as long as it went. Um, there was a little bit of, you know, a little bit of some some kickboxing exchanges, a little bit of hands being thrown. Um, and what ended up, becoming the end of it was the first grappling exchange. They both were kind of standing. They spawned a little bit and they kind of ended up slamming into the cage, both losing their feet. Um, it was like Alexa Grasso was kind of trying to, trying to whip her, whip her down to the ground. Like she was mm. trying to get her there mm-hmm. and the cage kind of caught them both where they both kind of slammed into it mm-hmm. uh, back first. And they, you know, were on their, on their butts and Alexa Grasso climbed up Joanne's back. You know, when she was trying to get up, she didn't let her go. And she got on her back. She fought for it for a little bit. And she was able to pull that rear naked choke, you know, uh, just about four minutes into that oh, first tried round. tried and true. Yep. Oof, man. Man, the, you want to talk about the submission that works every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they get it, of course. But, right, you know. right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, she was able to pull off the choke right at the end. Uh, not really right at the end, but just about, uh, about a minute left in that first round. And she was able to get at it and get it done. So, you know, she's called out for she called for a title shot. Maybe she gets it. Maybe she doesn't. Um, You know, I don't know how the rankings work in terms of like how far up she's going to jump. I think there are a few people ahead of her that Mm -hmm. probably should get it. I'd love to see Jennifer Maya 
fight Valentina Shevchenko for that belt, mm-hmm. um, at least before Alexa Grasso, because she's also ranked a little bit higher, but that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, I thought that that was, I thought it was a fantastic fight. I thought it was really good technique. The way that she just like, she's climbed up her back, man. She did not let her get up. Mm. When they both got on the ground, they stayed down there. Mm-hmm. There was there was no stand back up. Um, and yeah, Alexa Grasso got it done. And then our main event, we had Curtis Blades versus Chris Dawkins. Mm. Um, this mm. was an interesting fight, at least especially for the heavyweight division, because we had Curtis Blades, who I'm just gonna keep it a buck, lives in the top five at heavyweight. He lives there. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's been pretty much in the top five. Um, I, I don't want to say since he's been in the UFC, but pretty much for a decent amount of time. And it seems like the only people that can beat him are people in the top five. And that was tried and true last night. Um, he currently, like I said, at the time of this recording, is sitting at number four. The new rankings come out Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris Dawkins was sitting at number nine. Chris Dawkins has been streaking as of late, and he was really looking to kind of try to you know, use this bout in a victory here if he could, you know, if he could manage it uh, as a way to get a title shot. You know, this is a guy that was coming off of, he'd only very recently lost to Derek Lewis, a guy who's also beat Curtis Blades. But mm-hmm. prior to that, he was on a five-fight win streak, got KO'd in the first round by Derek Lewis. But given how certain things have gone, especially within Derek Lewis's career, and just how the rankings and fights and stuff go, He's able to move around that. And this would have still been uh, something that could have given him, you know, that title shot, I think, potentially. Um, and then on the other side, we have Chicago's own Curtis Blades. Uh, shout out to Bryce because he graduated with Bryce. Um, That's true. Shout out, Bryce. Curtis Blades is coming off uh, a win against uh, Jarzinho Rosenstroke in, uh, with a unanimous decision victory. Mm. Now, the thing that's known about Curtis Blades... He'll tell you, the fans will tell you, the commentary team will tell you, the video package will tell you. He want to wrestle. Mm-hmm. He's going to wrestle. It, wrestling is, is the game plan. He's, it's nothing else to play about. That's what he's there for. He is there to wrestle. Well, last night he was not there to wrestle. <laughs> um, Curtis Blades, I know, has you know, been kind of changing some camps up, but he's been pretty much working on a lot of his striking in Colorado. Um, I know for a decent amount of time he was working with Bang Ludwig. Um, I know that he's not there anymore, but he is still pretty much posted in Colorado and he's been really, really, really looking to work his striking, kind of just get his striking improved because he was in a world, as we've talked about, TJ, where there are no specialists, he was still kind of a specialist in a sense of... uh, in a sense of his wrestling ability. I mean, the guy has the the record in the heavyweight division right now for yeah. the most takedowns in a single fight in UFC history with 14. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you got like a Tom Aspinall kind of looming over the horizon. It's like, okay, exactly. we should buy get our hands going. Yeah. yeah. So you might want to, you know, I think that, and I think that's a good idea, especially. And, this round, this fight went two rounds, zero wrestling, not even a takedown attempt. Mm. It was as if Curtis Blades really had something to prove. And I felt like in the first round, the striking was pretty even. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Curtis Blaze did a lot of stand switching, a lot of lot of feints, a lot of hand and hand and head movement, as well as moving his feet. The dominant Cruz, the dominant yeah. Cruz, Dwayne Bang Ludwig imitation, Kakashi. A little bit, style. Yeah. a little bit, yeah. not all the way. He wasn't that. He wasn't like bouncing. Dillashaw. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Right, he right, wasn't right. like Dillashaw. He wasn't <laughs> bouncing around. Right. Um, but he definitely was moving. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? He's moving his feet. Uh, you know, just kind of stepping side to side, throwing some pretty good feints, moving his hands, moving his head, just kind of throwing a lot of options at uh, Chris Dawkins. And Chris Dawkins is, is more of a striker. Mm-hmm. So on paper, this looked like, oh, okay, you might be You're playing on the wrong. It, right. Yeah, you might be might be swimming on the deep end of the pool here. You right. might want to be careful. Um, right. So I felt like the first round of striking was pretty even. The hands were good. It seemed like Curtis hit hit him a handful of times with what was his best shot. And Curtis kind of shrugged it off. I mean, Chris kind of shrugged it, shrugged it off. And it seemed like both guys in their first round had taken their best shot at each other on mm-hmm. the hands. Nobody got like a crazy power punch off, but there were some solid shots that were landed on both sides. Um, not a ton of kicks. Most of the kicks were typically to the legs, not a lot of body or head kicks, but that's pretty typical for the heavyweight division. Right. And then, whew, what happens is we get in the second round, or I want to say maybe midway through the second round, um, we have Curtis Blades does a stance switch. Switches from southpaw to orthodox and does like a little bit of a shuffle with his feet. And when Chris Dawkins goes to intercept him, he shoots that right hand and puts him down, like perfectly shoots it right through the chin, Curtis, uh, Chris Dawkins goes down. Curtis Blades does what he does best. Jumps right on top of him. Starts doing the ground and pound to the point where Chris Dawkins had to try to turn away. And uh, the referee got in there and stopped it. Mm. And uh, 17 seconds into that second round, it was over. Mm. Uh, Curtis Blades, TKOs, Chris Dawkins, and comes away with a victory. Um, I thought it was a good performance. He came out of there and did a very respectful call out of uh, Stipe Miocic, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was cool. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. Curtis is number four. Stipe is number two. Um, the heavyweight division, they top five. Really, they top ten is all bangers, man. You know, yeah. we had Tom Aspinall last week move up to number six. And with Curtis Blades' victory over Chris Dawkins, who's number nine, you know, who knows how the division could shake up by the time we see those rankings. Right. You never know. Chris Dawkins could, I mean, not Chris Dawkins, but Curtis could move up. Curtis can end up staying right in the spot that he's in. But mm-hmm. it's interesting. You know, right now, the heavyweight division is it, within the heavyweight division. Everybody wants to know what Stipe's next move is. Right. Because um, currently our champion is going to be out for some time with some knee injuries as well as dealing with uh, some contract disputes. So, It'll be interesting to see what happens with that going forward. Overall, I felt like it was a good night. It was a good night of fights. The main card delivered. I was entertained by all the fights, even though some of the crowd really did not like the Mark Jacasey fight. It's what I it thought is. it was good. Yeah, it's not everything ain't for everybody. Right. Um, but it was all bangers, man. Everybody came to fight, which is really what you just hope for as a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, everybody came to fight. Everybody showed up. And overall, it was very entertaining and it was fun. And whew, next week, we got 273. Mm-hmm. 
or not next week, in two weeks, we got UFC 273. So there will be no UFC next week. Um, but we got that, which is going to be main evented by Alexander Volkanovsky versus the Korean Zombie. And the co-main event being finally Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan. Peter Yan. Peter Yan. Oh, but I'm not done. Oh, I'm <clears> not <throat> done. Because see, after, before that, we got Gilbert Burns versus Hamzat Chamaya. Oh, but I'm not done. <laughs> then at strawweight, we got Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres. Oh, snap. Yeah. Yeah, that main, that main card is... Pretty stacked pretty, so far. Pretty stacked. We also, on the prelims, got Jarzinho Rosenstrike and uh, Marcin Tybura, mm. which are two more guys in the top 10 at heavyweight. So heavyweight's been moving, man. They've been mm-hmm. getting active these last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, we even got Mickey Gall on uh, some early prelim action as well. So... Mm. You know, I think next in not next week, but in two weeks' time, I think we're gonna have a pretty interesting card, and we'll definitely be covering that. Wait, correct me wrong. Did Mickey Gall fight uh, CM Punk? Yeah, Mickey Gall is the guy that beat CM Punk. Yes. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Got my attention. Yeah, he's he's still in the UFC. Good for him. Still holding on. You know, young guy. He's thirty. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's had some up and down success since he's been in the UFC. Um. You know, he had. One three straight, and he literally has been 50-50 since then. You know, mm. lost to Randy Brown, beat George Sonovan, lost to Diego Sanchez, beat another guy, loses to Mike Perry, beat another guy, lost the lost his most recent one. So hopefully he can, you know, figure that out so he's not as 50-50. But I'm entertained by him for the most part. I'm not gonna lie to you. So we'll see what he does in two weeks on uh, mm-hmm. April 9th when he fights uh Mike Malo. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, we're gonna go into what our topic of the week was this week, which was what, TJ? What character could have or should have been a villain? And I'm going to let you open up since I just did all that damn talking about these fights. Hey, man, get some water. <laughs> <laughs> right. I would need it for real. But uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not going to give you too much intro. I'm going to tell you who mine are and then get into why. Uh, my two characters who could have or should have been a villain, Gohan from Dragon Ball and okay. Guts. From Berserk. Okay. All right. Yeah, let, let's hear this. I wasn't expecting either of these. So, oh, bro, we've talked about Gohan, uh, but uh, this was like off, off, uh, off yeah, the yeah, record. But still, but, still, I was, uh, I was surprised. Why Gohan? Uh-huh. All the trauma that Gohan has built up, all the mistreatment, if you think about on some like DCFS, Department of Children and Family <laughs> Services stuff. How services should have been. Like, uh, like uh, <laughs> even though Piccolo is now his dad, Right. Mm-hmm. Think about how that relationship started. You could argue that there was some Stockholm syndrome going on there. Right. Uh, his uncle kidnapped him while killing his while also setting up his dad dying. Uh, his dad has not been there. His dad watched while arguably one of the strongest villains to come out of Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z. Molly whopped Gohan for a little With bit. a smile on his face. With a smile on his face. Goku gave that villain a senzu bean. While he was mollywopping his firstborn son. Um, The world is lucky that Gohan didn't just go on a rampage after Cell. Uh, That's all I'm going to say, right? We need to understand that at the point of the Cell saga, before the time skip, right, to the Majin saga, if you will, or the the high school saga, right? 
Uh, we mm. need to understand that Gohan was the strongest in the world at that point for real, right? He could have just gone over to Vegeta and said, hey, remember when you punched me in the stomach back on Namek? Here you go. Gone over to Piccolo and like, hey, Mr. Piccolo, yes, we have this relationship, but you did kidnap me. Here you go. Right, like, mm-hmm. like he could have just start giving out receipts. He exactly he could have just gone. He could have just had a list and could have just gone out of that list, and he could have just ruled the world with an iron fist while maintaining Super Saiyan two as his norm, bro. If he mm-hmm. well, no, nah, he didn't really have any beef with Future Trunks, but I'm saying, <laughs> like, like you nobody, <laughs> nobody would have been a problem for Gohan at that point. We're just lucky. Well, not we, the readers, but the world is lucky that. Mm-hmm. I guess Goku, Piccolo, and Chi-Chi instilled the right values in him. Uh, that's all I'm going to say there in terms of like whether he could have been a villain. Like, and, and to be fair, it's like we couldn't have really held it against him because Gohan's upbringing has been traumatic, man. Mm-hmm. Like our first introduction to him, he gets kidnapped in that chapter, right? On yeah. Namek, like Raccoon broke his neck. Vegeta punched him like... Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. seen so much death. Like, I mean, to be fair, like, go on, should probably go to therapy. That's neither here nor there. Now, on to my next uh, pick, Guts from Berserk. And I want to kind of add additional context and qualify this with the following. Just the way the world in Berserk has treated this man since his birth. And I don't want to, and Matt, we don't need to rehash how Guts Mm-mm. was born. If you've read the, oh my the, God. the manga or seen His birth the alone series, was enough to be a villain. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just like, I, I, I put it this way. If you've ever seen the movie, The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio, basically, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, remember that movie of DiCaprio kind of dressed like a colonial, like, outdoorsy American, you know, who's like sent out on these expeditions with Native Americans. Remember that scene where he gets mollywhopped mm-hmm. by a bear? That's the movie I'm talking about. Uh, I remember watching The Revenant in theaters and there was a point in the movie, it was literally uh, after the fight with the bear where his character falls off a cliff and he still doesn't die. And I'm just thinking to myself, bro, just die. And this isn't like a just die like I want you to get hurt. I'm saying just die so you can take a break. Like that's mm-hmm. that's how I felt about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's protagonist in that movie. I was like, bro, just die. You've done enough, man. Just accept that eternal rest because you need it, homie. Like that's where I was mm-hmm. emotionally with that character. Guts is like that on 10. <laughs> like you feel me? Like Guts is like the Revenant on 10. You read Berserk. And you're just like, bro, stop fighting, man. Like, you've been through too much. He's wearing that berserker armor and he's, well, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. I know my man Demetrius is still is still reading berserk right now. He just got into it. Like, I don't even got, know why he's doing shout it. Shout out to my so. boy. Okay. okay. <laughs> shout out to Demetrius. He listens to the podcast. Appreciate you. Also, shout out to my boy, Joe. He listens to the podcast. Too. Shout out to all the homies, Brandon, Joe, Demetrius. Shout out to Big Joe, too. I know he listened to a few episodes, and he listened to the Batman, and he loved your joke about, I'm Batman, and this is jackass when he pulled the mm-hmm. label there. Shout out to all the homies. But I'm going to highlight Demetrius right now, specifically because, like, he kind of stayed away from Berserk, as he should. It's dark. But he wanted to read it to understand why a lot of people argue that Guts is the GOAT when it comes to protagonists. And I kind of agree with that. Um, darkness aside, like, Guts is... 
once you read Berserk, you understand why people are like, yo, Guts is the GOAT. Um, but no, nah, man, I'm reading Berserk and I'm just like, Guts just die, bro. Like, not die like maliciously. It's just like, just die because you, you, you've done all you can, man. And I think you just need to get some sleep. Because you also have to keep in mind with, (laughs) yeah, you also have to keep in mind with like Berserk. It's like the way the brand of sacrifice works, guts can never actually sleep, right? Like once it's nighttime, he goes from dealing with humans who may have ill intent toward him to spirits and demons who definitely definitely have ill intent intent toward him. him. (laughs) You know, like he can never sleep. His whole life is a struggle. I mean, the world is truly lucky that his quest to save Casca has not somehow turned into him becoming a villain because it's like, he's essentially having to fight God. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, if there is any way where, well, I mean, I guess now with things turning out, how they turned out, uh, RIP can title Muta right now, hopefully we get to see some type of closure with uh, the chapter that's scheduled to be, be released this summer. Um, but we're just lucky that his quest has never somehow made the whole world, to, so to speak, an enemy of his. Because he wouldn't hesitate. He wouldn't hesitate. That's all I'm going to say. Um, he would be within every right to turn his rage and hatred toward the whole world if he wanted to. But yeah. homie still has some type of core that he... He himself doesn't necessarily believe in his own goodness, but we see it. We see it. Uh, All I'm going to say is, like, what hope does the world have? And also, you know, the God hand, the literal demons, if you will, that that are the ones low-key kind of in charge. I'm not, I don't want to spoil too much because I know some of my friends might be reading it, like, shout out Demetrius. But it's like, they can't even really deal with guts. Like, he is a perpetual thorn. And I'm going to just say shout out to the Skull Knight. Uh, These are, once again, my top two who could have or should have been a villain, Gohan and Guts. Matt, I would love to hear who your coulda, woulda, shoulda been a villain are. I really only got one for real. That's that's okay. Um, But because you had two, I'll throw a second one in there just for light reasons. I'm gonna say Killua. Killua uh, Zoldic definitely could have been a villain. Is this because of his upbringing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, because of his upbringing and because of like various things that even just happened during the course of Hunter Hunter, like even the time when he gets taken away and he's being like tortured. Mm. And, like, just the way that he was raised by his family, like, everything that he had to go through. Like, he was robbed of a childhood, and he's True. still a child True. <laughs> in the series. Like, he's still a child, and he has no, you know, Concept like, of being a child. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't understand it, bro. He just doesn't get it. So it's yeah. like, even when he's doing things that children do, he doesn't look at it like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, look, they... They turned a 10-year-old boy into an assassin that can snatch somebody's heart out of their chest while they're still beating. <laughs> and if that's not like, you know, you know, the 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 young brain is very malleable and easy right. to influence and shit. So it's like it's really a surprise that bro did not just end up going harder and be like, uh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> 
Let me just keep it going. Uh, <laughs> but I can also see how he didn't because his family is basically assassins for hire. They don't, right. you know, it's not one thing or another. But his He's older little... brother also is enough that he, him, and his younger brother, sister, which has his little how sister. Yeah, you could have put them two together. It just would have been over with. Right. Um, but my number one and what my original pick was, and I think we've talked about this, and even if we haven't, I'm definitely going to go there now. Naruto. Mm. Easily Naruto. Oh, why did I forget about Naruto? Yeah. Bro, we have talked about this. Naruto yeah. would be with lived in a every, village. Right. Naruto lived in a village that completely ostracized him. For a past he didn't even know about. Right. Naruto, I want to say this one more time before I go into my point. Naruto was ostracized by the entire village he lived in. Adults and children alike, with the exception of very few people. Mm -hmm. Shout out Shikamaru. Shout out Shikamaru. Shout out, man, yeah, who just didn't care. Shout out Shikamaru, who end up, that's why he his boy now. Yeah. Um, he lived in this village with all of these people ostracized him. Now, you know what's wild about that? Mm-hmm. There would be no village if it wasn't for his dad. Exactly. And Naruto is the result of the sacrifice his family made so that that village would still be standing. 100%. And, and considering the fact everybody knew that, he was not told that by the current Hokage when we get introduced to Naruto he was not told that by any of the teachers. Bro. People who knew his history said nothing and they just treated him like a leper because he had the nine-tailed beast inside of him. Bro. I mean, the nine-tailed fox. Now, my thing was when you look at everybody in the Akatsuki, they pretty much have similar stories. Yeah. You look at Gar. Gar damn near was a Gar basically was a villain yeah. with the exact same story. Yeah. With the exact same story, and he was able to turn Gar around. But what if he didn't? Because I'm sorry, and <laughs> Gar turns him around. Yeah. All right. So what if it went the other right. way? Yeah. Because the way I'm looking at it is like y'all. Everybody here draws breath because of his existence. Mm-hmm. Because his dad took that fox and put him in Naruto. After he took all of that damage and dealt with all the shit he had to deal with, that ultimately resulted in his own death, mm-hmm. his own sacrifice that he had to make so his son could live. This kid didn't have parents. He just had a cell. He damn near didn't have nowhere to stay. Mm-hmm. Didn't have no money. Hardly could go to school. Like He was just treated so horribly by everybody. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like the fact that his resolve never broke and he, the way that he wanted to get revenge was just by becoming the best. Right. He's but it's better, like better man than me. He's a much better man than me. Better it's like, me, it, you know? meanwhile, you got a, a motherfucker like Sasuke moody as hell. He, I, I'm going to be the dark Avenger for what, <laughs> for what I get that your clan got killed and they tricked your older brother. I get all of that. But like you had a family, bro. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but then again, there's that. It's like, you know, is it better to have had something and lost it or to never have it? But mm. we ain't going to get too deep for the intro on this one. But <laughs> I felt like Naruto basically had an Akatsuki background. Yeah. There's, there's just no way in hell. And I mean, 
even still through that first season, think of all the things this man did for this village and he was still being ostracized. Right. Became right. a ninja, became a, sho- a Joni, became a guinea, all of that ostracized. Hell, even his own, his own sensei passed him off to somebody else and taught his technique to Sasuke. Yeah, yeah. During the tuning exams. Yeah. During the tuning exams, he even got passed up. At every point, Naruto has been disrespected by the village, by the people, by the writing sometimes. Like, he has just been disrespected at every point. And to me, it's wild that he didn't become a villain. Because especially if I figure out, like, once he figured out his history, there's no reason. he. Should, I would have just wilded out. Me and Kamora, me and Karama, we out here now. This oh, no. Dude, I just want to supplement what you're saying with, like, for one... This is why the third Hokage, in my eyes, is such a villain. He knew the whole time. He Haiki orchestrated the whole village being against Naruto, like, since his birth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's why I think, like, if Naruto did become a villain, first person to get clapped, the third. That's all I'm saying. Sorry, I'm not playing with you, Saratobi. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Nobody's saying playing you knew what with you. you did. You knew what you did. Hey. <laughs> And that, that's high key why he was fighting Orochimaru to not, not bring uh, not bring the fourth back because he didn't want to find out how his like, son was hold living. On. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me explain. It's like, God. Like, like, nah, ain't no. Where Naruto at? You left huh? my son? Oh. <laughs> like, just, Where's Naruto? Huh? huh? Yeah. What you got? Huh? Huh? No, nah, bro. I drive a Nissan. <laughs> like, nah. Yeah. Naruto, <laughs> Nissan. You funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bro. <laughs> no, nah, man, I thought it should have been Naruto. It, it, uh, I couldn't have had Naruto's a, background and not killed nothing. strong argument, man. That, that, that was good. I like that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> with that, uh, this brings our topic of the week to a close. Next week, our topic is going to be least favorite protagonist. That might be a hard one for me, actually. But I, I'm it ain't hard sure for me. I go, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I could like, pull some out of the archives. Um... But yeah, uh, hey, thank you guys for listening. As always, I'm going to let Matt bring us to a close. Thank you guys for checking us out. This has been episode 12, 12, 12, 12. 12. Um, this has been episode 12 of the Now Mind You podcast. I'm TJ. No, I'm just playing. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, bro. <laughs> you, you legit froze me. Who was going like, to say, and I'm Matt? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh no, this God. is gonna bring episode 12 to a close. Um, next week, our manga is gonna be a little bit not necessarily jumbled up, but we're definitely gonna be working with a smaller deck than usual. Um, right, right. we will have some combat sports next week. Um, I'll be covering a little bit of the boxing that's taking place. Right, right. Um, and with that said, you can follow me on. Pretty much Instagram, Twitter, or wherever at Matt Hambrick, M A T T H A M B R I C. TJ, where can they find you? Hit me up on the gram at Tus4 underscore skate. That's T U S S number four underscore S K A T E. All right. And we will see you guys next week. week. Oh, wait, hold on, Matt. Uh, is there any bit of wisdom you still want to leave the people with before we uh, call it a night? You know, we haven't seen him in the last few chapters, but I can still smell it. I can taste it still. Uh, 
Belly Lays are still a bitch. Never you forget. Never not be. Don't ever forget that. When you listen to this podcast, episode 12, you go back episode one, two, three, four, five. You count your way up. Now I want you to know something. <laughs> he gonna still be a bitch. When you get to episode 20, I'ma definitely say it. I might say it 20 times. When you get to episode 30, he gonna still be a bitch. When that manga is over and we're not reviewing it, I'm gonna still make the point of that. He is a bitch, and there's no way that they should they should have been rocking with dude. No, I have no respect for dude. Zero. Zero. And on that note, y'all, thank you as always for listening to us. We'll catch you next week. Peace. Peace out.